This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. Oracleize is a project developing tools to provide trusted data feeds to smart contracts and prediction markets. Founder Thomas Bertani joins me today to explain oracles, oracle networks, TLS notary, and the emerging decentralized ecosystem. Thomas, could you please introduce yourself and, uh, and explain how you got involved with Oracleize? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, essentially, I, my background uh, was in high-performance computing, and I started working on parallel computing, specifically on GPUs. So back in uh, 2012, um, I started getting in touch with Bitcoin, and I was fascinated. And I started just a few months after that um, uh, an exchange, which is still running today. And it is one of the leading marketplaces in Europe for cash to Bitcoin, which is Bitvote. And um, some years later, essentially, actually just one year later, <laughs> I started Oracleize. This was uh, 11 months ago, so pretty much one year ago. Uh, I incorporated Oracleize, um, and the interesting fact is that the capital contribution for the incorporation of Oracleize was in Bitcoin. So this was the second case in Europe and the first one in Italy. So this was done um, essentially in order to push forward um, the regulation of Bitcoin for from the uh, VAT perspective in Italy. And after that. I've, I worked at Cointerra for a few months, helping to design their Bitcoin miners, and then as essentially um, building all the control software for uh, their massive uh, mining plant. So it, it was half 2014 when I was in control of 5% of uh, the global uh, Bitcoin hash rate. And after that, I left the company to focus full-time on Oracleize. And the idea behind Oracleize um, was, it was quite different in the beginning because the idea was to be just part of an Oracle network for Bitcoin. Uh, but at the time, this didn't happen. And I was looking for uh, Orizi, uh, which was a project, uh, an inter-Oracle communication uh, project. Um, and I started... Uh, to, um, to do some development on the top of this project because they need to interact with other oracles. But back at, at this time, uh, there were no other oracles. <laughs> so essentially, I had to sort this out in some ways. And what I found was essentially TLS Notary, uh, which changed the way um, oracleize could essentially interact because there was no need anymore to have an Oracle network. So after that, I pushed Oracle, Oracle forward uh, to a different approach with both the Bitcoin integration and the Ethereum one. So essentially today, the focus of Oracle is, is 90% of Ethereum since having the logic be, being handled 
on, on the smart contract side is much more powerful and transparent because, I, as I already said, uh, the Bitcoin integration cannot enforce the logic execution. When we're talking about an oracle in the sense that a, uh, that a prediction market is an oracle, how does that compare with what you guys are doing and where do does Oracleize and the prediction market Oracle part ways conceptually? Essentially, uh, we can say that uh, um, Gnosis and Ogre, for example, um, are oracles in the sense that um, they, they try to give the answer to some, um, some facts uh, that didn't happen yet, right? Um, while uh, Oracleize is meant to be an oracle in the sense that it fetches it fetch some data um, that you cannot fetch by yourself. So essentially, uh, what we mean by Oracle is just a third party, uh, which is fetching uh, some uh, data for you, uh, which you cannot fetch by yourself. So uh, in the Bitcoin sense, uh, the Oracle uh, um, definition was slightly different uh, because, because the idea um, was to have uh, an Oracle network, right? So um, in Bitcoin, uh, you have uh, multi-signature addresses, which means that you can delegate, um, for example, to an external network, the signature of a given transaction to a certain number of parties, which are part of these Oracle networks, and ask to all these parties to put a signature as soon as a certain event is verified, right? So uh, essentially, there are these three different meanings behind Oracle, and one is uh, the one of prediction markets, so predicting something uh, uh, in the future uh, with, by uh, leveraging uh, the wisdom of, of the crowd. And then uh, there is the definition of the Bitcoin wiki, uh, which is an external party putting a signature as soon as an event is verified. And then it's ours, uh, which is just a platform to fetch some information that you cannot fetch by yourself. Okay, right. And so how does Oracleize uh, achieve uh, that third definition? Essentially, uh, we have two, um, let's, let's call them entities. One is uh, uh, the so-called query, and the other one is uh, the event. So since Oracleize is platform agnostic, we, are, we have an engine which is shared between all the platform, platforms that we're supporting, and then we have a small integration layer uh, now this integration layer is integrated with Ethereum and with Bitcoin. So um, with uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, with both of them, you can access uh, queries, while uh, uh, events can be assessed by the Bitcoin integration only. So what I mean by this is that, for example, if you want an, um, a certain Bitcoin transaction uh, to be signed by all parties, as soon as event, an event is verified, then you can just ask Oracleize to sign that transaction um, once uh, it has verified that the given conditions, such as uh, the next time the weather is uh, rainy in London, please put a signature on this transaction and broadcast the transaction. When I'm talking about transactions, uh, I'm with the Bitcoin integration. I mean. Uh, multi-signatures partially signed transactions. So, for example, if you have um, two of three multi-sig wallet, then uh, you as um, as a user of Oracleize 
you, you can partially sign the transaction with your own signatures and ask Oracleize to put the second signatures to the transaction as soon as the event that you have chosen is verified. While um, if you just ask a query, the query is um, just part of an event. So it's the verification of the fact, such as please check on that given data source what the result is uh, for that specific uh, formula. So for example, even just calling an API for, uh, for us is just uh, a query. While if you ask, put a signature, a, a signature as soon as this query gives a certain result, then this is an event. So on Ethereum, you can just interface with queries because the logic is implemented in contracts. While on Bitcoin, since there is no support for smart contracts in, in the Ethereum sense, then you are delegating even the logic by using events. So even in Bitcoin, I suppose, while Oracleize represents the logic layer for this whole process, because everything is provable and verifiable the whole way down, it's still a perfectly trustable service. I mean, is, is that, uh, is that the, the reasoning I'm, I'm understanding right? Actually, um, in, in Ethereum, uh, the logic is delegated to a smart contract, while on Bitcoin, as we just said, the logic is delegated, the whole logic is delegated to the service with events. But this means that the whole process can be transparent. But um, while uh, on Ethereum, uh, the integration is stronger because the logic uh, can be actually enforced by smart contracts, on the Bitcoin integration, you cannot enforce uh, the event to happen in the right way. You can just verify uh, after the event is terminated that everything went as expected. But from uh, in theory, Oracleize could lie uh, and behave badly with um, with events. While on Ethereum, this is not possible at all. So we can say that essentially that the integration uh, with uh, Ethereum is way stronger in this sense. But even were uh, were Oracleize to behave badly, it would still be visible because you still have those. Uh, and uh, and correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology. You still have the event signatures coming in on transactions that verify an event in uh, for Oracleize. Is, is that correct? Uh, yes, it's correct. Actually, for events, uh, um, you just have TLS notary proofs for partial results. And other than this, you have a signature of uh, the event formula, uh, which is signed by the user. So when you submit an event, you can option optionally provide a signature so that everybody can check that the user was the one signing uh, that specific event formula. Okay, so now we've got... So that the event formula cannot be altered by the service. So now we've got... Um, so that's... That's the, uh, the mechanism of interaction um, going the whole way through. How are people incentivized to provide these, uh, these information feeds to verify events to Oracleize? Um, what do you mean? Do you, talk, uh, do, do you mean uh, data, data sources or what else? Yeah, why, why, why would someone provide information? Why would someone provide these, uh, these services to Oracleize to, to verify that it was indeed raining in London? Um, essentially, with Oracleize, there are different data sources. And as a user, you can choose uh, which data source better fits 
your specific use case, right? So data sources can be strongly integrated or lightly integrated. The strong integration means that you choose, uh, for example, as data source Wolfram Alpha, and you can just put uh, the formula such as temperature in London, while uh, with uh, light integration, we mean, for example, uh, URL, which means any URL. So in that case, there is no need uh, of doing a specific integration and you can use any uh, data feed on the internet. So essentially, you don't need uh, to ask for the permission to anybody because you can use uh, data feeds and APIs that are already available. You mentioned before uh, TLS notary. Yes. And this is a uh, this is a really interesting kind of bit of technology. I remember the first time I heard of it was when Manfred Correa mentioned it as a means of resolving disputes for his uh, decentralized Bitcoin exchange BitSquare, which has just launched. And um, and this is actually this is only the second time I can really remember hearing anyone uh, using the mechanism. But it was a really kind of holy grail technology. I mean, as I understood it at the time. How does uh, how does TLS Notary allow us to be sure about um, about these uh, about the veracity of these data feeds that people might uh, might be presenting to Oracleize? Uh, yes, so um, TLS Notary was started as a project back in two thousand thirteen, so it's pretty much three years old now. Uh, and as you just said, uh, the idea behind TLS Notary was to use it, for example, to resolve disputes uh, on distributed, uh, uh, on um, peer-to-peer exchanges like, like BitSquare. Um, but the way we're using it is slightly different. Uh, in fact, uh, we are using a page signer, uh, which is built on the top of TLS Notary. So if you check on the TLS Notary website, other than their white paper, they provide even page signer, which is um, a different way to interact with TLS Notary, essentially. Talking about TLS Notary and Page Signer uh, is pretty much the same thing. We can say that Page Signer uh, is built on the top of TLS Notary to make things slightly simpler to some extent. So, for example, what Page Signer provides, while TLS Notary uh, role doesn't provide by itself, uh, is an actual proof. So the so-called TLS notary proof or page signer proof is pretty much the same thing, um, which is a, a file that you can distribute to anybody to prove that uh, a certain server gave back to you uh, at a given time a, a certain response. So the way uh, this works essentially is by using uh, a modification of TLS so that you have the master secret during uh, which is usually which is chosen during the handshake phase of the connection to a server, you have this master secret uh, which is shared by two parties. So one party is just the client, which in this case is Oracleize itself, and the other party is the so-called auditor. So we talk about the auditor later, but the point is that in this way, by splitting uh, the master secret. Um, you can send a request from the client straight to the server and be able to decrypt the whole response back from the server um, just once the other uh, decides his part of the secret. So 
this is important because the auditor, which is the other party, uh, which is in possession of half of the master script, can choose on which criteria to release to you his part of the secret. Can you follow me? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So this criteria essentially is to ask for um, uh, the client to provide a commitment, so a proof of integrity, an ash essentially, uh, of the response. It has uh, the, the response uh, the um, the server has sent back to him. So in this way, uh, the third party, which is the auditor, can provide um, the main piece of data which is needed to decrypt the response from the server to the client just once um, the client has provided this commitment. So essentially, this auditor in practice is a, an external server which is running some code to apply this exact logic. So the auditor, in theory, could be lying, behave in a different way. So the way this is solved in TLS, not page signer specifically, is to use the so-called Amazon Web Service Oracle. So Amazon Web Service Oracle uh, is the idea of using uh, a given uh, Amazon Web Service uh, server instance um, and to verify that the code that is executed on the server is exactly the one that you expect by verifying the output um, of some Amazon Web Service APIs. So what the guys behind uh, the TLS Notary group did was to release as open source the code that the auditor is supposed to be running. So this is open source and this is available uh, on their GitHub repository uh, in their repository page signer Oracle. And if you look in, in um, this is essentially um, the most important part of this whole process, uh, which is also the, um, the most vulnerable, we can say, in theory. Um, so essentially, if you create um, an AMI, so um, an Amazon Web Service image with this page signer Oracle code, then you can deploy this image to, to a certain server and then by using the, the Amazon Web Service API, you can verify and let anybody verify that this specific instance is really executing the code it's supposed to be executing. Does this make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's uh, it's 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 right at the uh, <laughs> right at the edge of intelligibility for me because there are so many relationships of uh, there are so many trust relationships here that need to be mitigated in order for this to be... <laughs> yes, correct. So, in fact, uh, what, you do, what you do once uh, this instance uh, of um, the notary server, let's call it notary server, so it's uh, the other party owning part of the master secret. Yeah. So this notary server um, needs to be verified. Uh, that, uh, you can be 100% sure that it's executing... Uh, uh, the code you expect to be executed on his side. So in order to do that, you use, we have, we have just said that you use the Amazon Web Service APIs. And the good thing is that Amazon Web Service APIs have an important feature, uh, which is signed requests. 
These sign requests essentially are a way you can call uh, a, an API, a private API, without releasing to third parties um, your API secret. So your credentials, when we are talking about API, you usually are called key and secret, which are like your username and password, right? Um, so if you use this Amazon Web Service API signed request, you can um, release just your key and the API call signature along with the specific API call without disclosing the secret. So in this way, you can release to anybody access to your own specific API call without disclosing the secret. So this is important because this means that anybody can check independently that your own instance is returning some specific uh, details on its Amazon Web Service side. So for example, um, one thing that needs to be checked is the identifier of the AMI, the AMI that you are executing. So essentially you need to check that the image that is deployed to that server or to that notary server is exactly the one that you expect. So this is just an Amazon Web Service API call. And the page signer extension, which is a Chrome and Firefox extension, can, which can notarize page and verify proofs, even from third parties, is executing exactly this code. So essentially it's called Amazon Web Service on the notary server and is trying to verify that all the API responses from Amazon are giving back the expected results. So if this happens, it means that the notary server is not compromised and that it's really running some legit code. Wow, that must have been, it sounds like that was, it was, must have been a really long process of engineering such a uh, engineering trust out of, the, uh, out of the equation like that. Yes, essentially we can say that um, you are moving the trust to Amazon. So in this case, the only party that you need to trust uh, is Amazon itself since it's the only party which could be lying and which could be providing to you some tampered uh, data out of their APIs. Which of course is implausible because it's just not something they have skin in the game on. Yes, essentially. And in any way, uh, the way it's designed, the notary server doesn't own any private data about the communication other than uh, the edge of the result and uh, his part of the master secret. Now this... Uh, so there is no, no, risk, no risk involved, essentially. This reallocation of trust, um, you know, to a, to a disinterested party or a party that's unable to, um, yes. you know, to, to influence an outcome like this, um, or that's unable to intelligently influence an outcome like this, I should say, is um, it reminds me of? Do you remember Codius and uh, which was a uh, it was a smart contract? It was a it was a um, yes yeah it was like the smart contract thing that um, Ripple Labs was working on. Of Ripple Labs, and they had that idea of smart oracles, which were like you know oracles that ran both the smart contracts and the and provided data feeds to the smart contracts because hey you've got to trust whoever's you have to trust the server that's running the contract so you may as well trust them with the data feed as well and um and you know that that was kind of like the syndicated server um deployment of oracles 
and uh, and smart contracts. And this kind of seems like a really pragmatic, street smart, street smart approach to um, to bringing smart contracts to decentralized computing, or to bringing oracles to decentralized computing. It's um, it's quite a miracle of engineering. Yes, it's a very interesting. Uh use indeed and essentially it's a compromise so as you just said you are just relocating the trust to a party which is more likely to be trusted by pretty much everybody what are the deployments you can see going forward for oracle eyes okay so um, essentially um we are moving forward different paths so on one side uh, we are working on some proof of concepts um, with some clients, but uh, which are based on our API. And other than this, we want to keep our API open to the, to the public and to, to the community. So we have already mm, seen some interesting uses of our API, such as the one that MakerDAO wants to do, for example. So um, we are studying with them and even um, uh, with Gnosis, for example. Um, some uh, pilot integration, let's say, which shows how an oracle uh, can, in practice, uh, be of, uh, of uh, use uh, to their service by providing an additional service. So, for example, on, on Gnosis, uh, this can be used to resolve their events in an automated way, while now you have to delegate this to the operators. So even on our side, we are tra- since this is still an early stage, we understand that our API is not easy at this point and not many services ready to integrate with our APIs. So what we're doing is even to show some example use cases. One is um, the flight delay insurance, which is called Insureth which is essentially um, a smart contract, which is based on Oracleize, um, which is providing sort of a simple flight delay insurance. And the other one is the YouTube uh, views count based escrow for sponsoring a YouTuber, for example. That's a, okay, those are both really great examples because for one, we all know, you know, we can, it's easy to verify, right? The, uh, the feed from a YouTube Yes, and even the one from flight data. Yeah, really. And the thing is, there are obvious costs associated with um, with a delayed flight or a cancelled flight that uh, that are you know it's a nightmare dealing with airlines. I fly a lot, and they suck. You know, airlines are the most like uncustomer friendly <laughs> organizations on the planet. Yes, correct, and they are not anything, not anywhere <laughs> close to let's say, uh, an auto-claiming insurance, right? No, it's miserable. And you need an immediate pay. And, you know, you need funds immediately. If, say, you get stuck in an airport and, um, and you, you know, especially if you're using a credit card and you're in a foreign country and you've got all these additional expenses associated with that. Um, so I suppose this has tremendous, uh, uh, this has tremendous value for helping out the, the automated insurance, uh, the decentralized insurance paradigm that people imagine going forward using smart contracts yes essentially this means more transparency and this means that you can have an automated process which all the steps which can be easily verified again on on the user side this on the client side let's say 
Uh, this means that you don't have to waste time filling up your insurance forms and that you can be 100% sure you, you will get your compensation back once this is the case. So I think that there are different uh, advantages on, on both sides. So even uh, on, on the insurance side, I mean, um, our um, flight insurance, uh, flight delay insurance smart contract uh, didn't need an insurance company to have a role at all, even if an insurance company could, for example, put a fund in the smart contract. So I think that it's just a way different logic than the one we have today in, uh, in insurances that we are using every day. Yeah. What is the different mechanic there? Essentially, the difference is that the, the insurance, uh, let, let's call it the just insurance company, even if it doesn't need to be a, an insurance company. The insurance company, in this case, is forced to pay the compensation, once this is the case, in 100% of the cases. So there is no way the company cannot pay the users, for example, in the case a flight is actually late. So um, this means that there should be even a different pricing because uh, as you can guess um, today, all the prices of insurance products are built in such a way just because the insurance company doesn't expect to pay out the compensation every time. While in this case, when you have, you have a smart contract, which is always paying, it means that the customer needs to pay a higher premium. There is no other way, essentially. But I think that for um, a smart contract, for an insurance like this, there can be many users that are willing to pay slightly more in order to not to waste their time in the case the flight is actually late to get their compensation back and to have the certainty that they will get this money back no matter what. Now, you mentioned that before you had an uh, Oracle network. Could you explain what that uh, provides and what its deficiencies are? Uh, yes, essentially having an Oracle network means that um, you choose um, M of N multisig wallet and you ask to some of the Oracles in this network to put one of their signature on the same transaction so that once the threshold is reached, the given transaction is confirmed by the, by the network. So this is probably something in some ways similar to what Join Market is doing, for example. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. So it's, it's just... So it's putting different signatures on the same transaction once we have found a consensus on the transaction itself. It's distributing trust as opposed to... Uh, eliminating it or finding a, uh, a a single highly trustworthy party to uh, to invest that trust in. Yes, correct. But the point is that today um, there are not that many services acting as oracles, or at least not in a way which isn't interoperable. Now we really need this is a this is is the, this is a an issue that does need to be solved, right? Though I mean, there has to be a market uh, for, um, I guess, Oracle feeds as a service. I mean, that's definitely what um, one of the uh, one of the appeals that we've we've spoken about for um, 
for prediction markets as this oracle service that they can potentially provide. But then also we need things that don't, uh, we need oracle services that don't necessarily rely on, that aren't you know, for, for things that cannot be um, provided by, uh, by these prediction markets. I'm thinking, oh, so that's what, that's Wolfram Alpha, right? That is what Wolfram Alpha really can offer, isn't it? It's that, uh, that, that data feed for certain specific events that we don't find on prediction markets. Mm, yes, or uh, Wolfram Alpha is just one of the data sources you might be using, uh, but obviously you, you could use any API on the internet. So essentially Wolfram Alpha is just one API and it's interesting because uh, it can give you or try giving you a response starting from just a query that you have written in um, natural language form, right? Like what's the temperature in London? Awesome. Well, I mean, that's pretty much, I've, I've, we've covered everything that's really important. Um, but is there anything else that you think we should, uh, we should talk about? I mean, you've, well, you've got the year of the community. Uh, we could cover briefly the integration that Oracle has uh, with IPFS, for example, because IPFS is playing a very important role uh, in what we are doing now, because other than collecting these proofs, these TLS notary proofs that we were discussing about, one important thing is to understand how Oracleize can actually distribute these proofs so that they can be um, fetched and verified independently, right? So IPFS essentially is a perfect fit for that because uh, you can publish a certain content and just get it addressed by its multi-hash. So this is interesting because uh, this multi-hash is essentially what Oracleize is pushing today to the Ethereum blockchain. So once you ask something to Oracleize, Oracleize gets the response back from the server along with the TLS notary proof and sends back to your contract the result along with the multi-hash of the proof while the proof is pushed to IPFS. So important thing is that since our IPFS nodes, in theory, are the only ones with this data, with this data, then it's very important to have something like the IPFS Persistent Consortium, which is a project by Primarium. The IPFS Persistent Consortium mean it is a software which is enforcing some rules so that the the nodes which are part of the consortium can share on their nodes some data which each um, each node decides to share. So this means that, for example, Oracleize uh, is willing to share to the all persistence consortium all the TLS notary proofs it has collected so far. So this is what it, we are doing in the IPFS persistent consortium and it's important because it means that even if our IPFS node, node is not reachable anymore, you can still fetch some TLS notary proof uh, from the past and verify it independently because some other nodes in the IPFS persistent consortium is keeping on its own storage um, a copy of our data. This is, uh, it's funny, like IPFS just, 
you know, it comes up all the time. It's really, it's, uh, it's crazy to see. I just, Juan was on the last episode and, um, and I'm going to be talking to the guys at Swarm soon as well. It's just, it's amazing how, uh, how these, these crystalline technologies just are beginning to be uncovered that have so many applications across the board and interoperate so effectively. Yeah, I think it's a, a perfect fit. Yeah, it's a natural fit. Hey, well, thanks a whole bunch, Thomas. This has been an absolute pleasure. And um, I, I uh, you know, I've, it's taken so long to, uh, to actually get, get around to talking to you. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, re- I'm really glad that we, uh, we managed to, to get the opportunity. Where can, people, uh, where can people find out more about Oracleize and uh, where can people contact you if, if they feel they need to get in touch for any reason? Uh, yeah, thanks to you. So it was my pleasure. So um, actually for Oracleize, uh, the documentation is available at docs.oracleize.it. The main website is oracleize.it. And anybody can get in touch with me at info at oracleize.it. And we have, we have released some open source code as well for uh, our contracts uh, on Ethereum, which is released already on our GitHub page on github.com slash oracleize. All right, fantastic. I'll uh, hopefully get to talk to you. Well, I'm sure I will be able to talk to you and you know, have, have a reason to talk to you in the not too distant future, Thomas, because this is really one of those, you know, we've got IPFS, um, uh, Ethereum with the, uh, you know, the automated trustable computing, and then Oracle is providing these data feeds. I mean, it's a real trio of technologies, none of which really operate or, or you know, which are highly synergistic. It's, uh, it's really cool to have the, um, to be able to watch this ecosystem evolve like this. Yes, I think it's really great to see all these three different projects uh, stick together in a way that makes total sense, you know. Great. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you go, but uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Same here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Thomas. Show notes, credits, and links can be found at letstalkbitcoin.com and on Twitter at EtherReview.